Hello, everyone. Panelists and I join you in wishing everyone participating in this forum and their families and loved ones are safe. And we also commend Nicholas and the Capital Link team for all their efforts to move forward with the 14th annual Capital Link International Shipping Forum in digital format in this challenging time. I also welcome you to the uh, private equity restructuring M&A and industry uh, co uh, consolidation panel. I am John Imhoff, a lawyer and shareholder based in the New York office of Vetter Price, an international law firm with one of the most recognized transportation finances in the world. Our maritime practice is based in New York and ha we have lawyers in New York, uh, London, and Singapore as part of that team. I spent a lot of my time in maritime, uh, in maritime working on, pri on private equity matters, and I'm delighted to be moderating this panel of distinguished industry leaders on uh, this exciting topic. Um, Joining me today, joining us today, are uh, Paolo Omeida from Tufton Oceanic, uh, Axel Siepman uh, from uh, Braymore Naves, uh, Michael Kirk from RMK and Ascension, and Chris Wires, uh, who's with Stiefel. Um, it would be great if each of you could introduce yourselves uh, in that order, uh, starting with Paolo and then Axel and Michael and Chris. Uh, Paul May, thanks John for the introduction. Um, I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Tufton. Uh, most of you know Tufton, but for those of you who don't, we have 1.3 billion under management. Um, all of those investments are in shipping, primarily in ships. We have a number of private funds and we have a London listed fund with a ticker of ship, Tufton Oceanic Assets Limited. That's great. You're next, Axel. Yeah, good morning or good afternoon to everybody. Um, my name is Axel Siebmann. I'm co-founder of Bremer Navis, uh, which today is a part of Bremer Group. Uh, we are financial advisors specialized in restructuring, M&A, and finance raising, focusing on the maritime industry. Mike? Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Mike Kirk. I'm uh, CEO of RMK Capital um, and also a uh, founder of Ascension Finance, which is a direct lending vehicle uh, into the maritime space. Uh, RMK is solely focused on maritime, but we do everything from you know, securities and M&A uh, down to first mortgage financing, uh, leasing, etc. And for, for all the um, delegates out there and participants, we thought we would start this particular panel with a presentation that was put together by Chris Wires. Uh, he can walk you through it. It discusses a lot of the issues that we're going to then um, discuss on, the, on this panel uh, and, and ask further questions about. And I thought you could, uh, we could start with that and everyone agreed. Chris, can you load that up and walk, it through, walk, walk us through it? Sure, thanks, John. Um, let me just make sure this works. Can everybody see the presentation? Can you see the presentation? I can see it. Okay, perfect. All right, well, I'm, I'm Chris Wires, I'm Managing Director in the Transportation Group at Stiefel Nicholas. Um, I focus primarily on marine and energy infrastructure. I've been in this business for a long time, work with you know a lot of the public and, and private companies in this industry, spend a lot of time with M&A, with capital markets, and with, um, with restructuring. Um, 
And this presentation really just kind of summarizes, you know, what's happened recently in the last few days because the market's changed dramatically in the last few days and really more focuses on what has been happening over the last couple of years and what we think is going to continue to happen, um, you know, as, as private equity, you know, looks to um, exit out of, um, out of marine investments. Uh, let me just see if I can figure out how to change the pages. Um, so the, the first page is just a quick summary. So the, so the first message is that maritime markets have experienced a massive sell-off. I mean, the whole kind of capital markets have experienced a massive sell-off, sell but you know, as usually happens when there's a lot of volatility in the overall markets, there's even more volatility in the marine markets. So they've seen even more sell-off sell than um, you know, the broader markets. That's despite the fact that you know most marine and freight companies, at least you know as of last week, were still doing you know reasonably well. Tankers were doing great, as we all know. Um, but we do think over the next several quarters, with the economies around the world slowing down, there will be you know a big negative impact. And with security prices trading as low as they are for a lot of these marine companies, we are likely to see you know restructuring and you know, quite possibly quite a bit of restructuring as we look into um, second half of this year and, and, and next year. Um, bigger kind of picture of longer term trend that we've been seeing in the industry is PE that invested, you know, heavily in shipping in the last downturn has been, you know, looking actively to exit investments. They've been exiting for the last um, few years. We expect them to continue to look to exit going forward. You know, most of them have decided to, you know, hold longer than they normally like. Um, but most of these investments at this point were made five to 10 years ago. These funds, you know, are getting to the point where they need to sell. And I think they've seen, you know, waiting hasn't improved their, um, their returns and particularly not, you know, now that they've waited through this, um, you know, what appears to be a, another down cycle. Um, so there's three primary methods that private equity is going to utilize to exit, exit their investments. One is cash sales. Um, that's pretty much just, you know, selling, you know, to, you know, a, a cash buyer. But as we know, there aren't that many cash buyers out there these days. Um, stock mergers, which is what we've seen, you know, as, as a much more, you know, kind of prevalent way to exit. That's effectively either private companies or public companies that are sponsored controlled merging with other public companies, you know, that together, you know, provide enough liquidity where these private equity firms can exit over time. And the third way is, you know, secondary equity offerings or block trades. We've seen, you know, a number of private equity firms exit this way as well. Um, and then, you know, the kind of the broader capital markets message is the maritime companies, you know, remain out of favor and most are trading below their net asset value. This page, you know, has a quick look at kind of what's happened, you know, since the S&P 500 kind of peaked. It peaked back in February um, of 2020. So it's effectively been a little over a month. And if we look at the, um, you know, the um, shipping names, we can see, um, Inner index is traded down by the most, 50%. The tanker index is traded down by the least, 20%. And you can see, you know, before the market turned down, everybody but the container companies traded below their net asset value. And, you know, today, 
um, you know, everybody trades dramatically below their net asset value. That's with the caveat that net asset, asset, asset values have not been updated, you know, between February and March. So in reality, asset values may be a little lower than what we show here. So the, so the next slide just looks at, you know, the different sectors and how they trade relative to NAV. This slide I think is particularly interesting because February 19th, I, I, you know, I gave this presentation at another conference and you know, I was talking about how preferred debt or preferred equity and the, um, and the public debt markets were you know, open and available to shipping companies. And on February 19th, you know, the bonds and term loans that shipping companies had outstanding traded at a 6.9% yield and the preferred equity was trading at an 8.8% yield. Today, as of, you know, I believe yesterday, you know, the spreads have blown out and, you know, it's effectively a 14% yield in the bond market, 15% yield in the private equity market, just demonstrates the fact that, you know, companies do not have access to capital markets today in Marine. Um, this page looks at some of the merger trends that we've kind of been talking about. You know, we've, we at Steve have worked on a couple of these deals, um, but it looks at the different types. So, you know, the most recent cash sale, one of the few cash sales we've seen is, um, you know, JF Lehman purchasing Global Marine um, a little bit earlier this year, actually. Um, you know, the more prevalent deals we see are these stock mergers, which you can see make up the, um, the majority of the, um, of the transactions. This page looks at you know companies that have performed stock mergers, and it looks at who the big shareholders were you know pre-merger, and looks at you know kind of what percent of the company they owned, and then what percentage of the company they own post-merger, and then what percentage they own today. Have they been able to sell since this merger happened? So I'm not going to go through each of these specifically, but um, you know the message is effectively ownership interests get diluted down substantially in stock mergers. And then, you know, most of these private equity funds have been able to sell or substantially reduce their investment sizes, you know, by selling into the public markets, um, you know, over time after the merger. And then page 10 looks at, you know, secondary equity offerings. This is the way in most industries, you know, sponsors would, would look to exit, you know, investments in public companies. We've seen a few secondary equity offerings. This is essentially when, when um, private equity goes to you know, Wall Street banks and asks them to do an equity offering of their holdings. Um, but you know, they, it hasn't been prevalent. There haven't been a lot of these offerings um, because there's only been a few windows of opportunity you know, to, to you know, tap markets to, to sell private equity shares. This page just looks again at you know the stock mergers and and who's done them and you know effectively the message is most are done you know merger to equals as merger to equals or or mergers with low premiums or there's not big premiums being paid most are done on a nav to nav basis. Page twelve just looks at who else is out there who which companies have big PE investors. On the left side are the public companies that still have, you know, large PE investors as part of their shareholder base. And on the right side are the private companies um, that are controlled by private equity. So our view is, you know, these are the candidates, you know, that we're likely to see involved in merger transactions going forward. I think that concludes my, um, my presentation. So I'll hand it back over to John. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that.
I, let me just throw it out to the panel and ask uh, if anybody had any additional thoughts or, or everyone agrees with the situation uh, as, it, as it had developed over time. Yeah, I would like to add uh, to the presentation, which um, gives a great overview of what has happened in um, the, the companies that are publicly listed, that of course, a massive amount of private equity money went into private deals, uh, which are not listed. Um, there we have the same situation that many of the funds were invested um, uh, many years ago. And of course, uh, those funds mature, um, but there has been a continuous inflow um, from private equity side, just the way the capital was structured became quite different uh, because so many of the big funds basically prefer to move more to the lending side. Uh, but some of the lending structures actually have uh, loan to values where I would say um, there is still um, a, a type of equity component uh, in there. If, you know, on average you say there is a, you know, 60% loan to value financing would be a normal financing and thereafter in shipping the equity risk uh, commences. And, and a lot of funds have provided significantly higher leverage. Um, so private equity continues to be there, but it just chooses a different form how to invest. And why, Axel, is that, that they uh, switched their, from equity kind of platforms and investments to debt platforms? Well, of course, I think, first of all, um, many of the early stage private equity investments after the Lehman collapse turned to be out very early in the cycle and people found out that there was still, you know, uh, uh, you know, still downside and, and the, the way how these investments were structured as pure JVs, there wasn't much downside protection. Um, the credit investments that we've seen over the last few years have been actually quite successful, especially the large uh, loan portfolio purchases, which were very, very large transactions. Uh, and they provide a lot of downside protection. So even if the market goes down further 20%, you know, from, from, from the um, fair uh, market value, what it formerly was, um, you know, the structures um, still make it to return the money uh, that has been invested by the funds. So I think it's, it's, it was a lesson learned uh, and, 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 and basically looking for ship owner's capital or for somebody else's capital as, as a buffer uh, to protect private equity's interest. So it's a, it has been a learning curve. And Chris, in your presentation, you mentioned that uh, uh, private equity is exiting. Is it, is it exiting or just transitioning over to the, the kind of debt funds that, that um, uh, Axel mentioned? And I think, I think, I think, I think private equity that, you know, invested, you know, five to 10 years ago, you know, that mostly invested in equity or they invested in debt that they then converted into equity, those private equity funds are all exiting. Um, and the new private equity funds we've seen come in, like Axel mentioned, are primarily coming in on the fixed income side. Um, they haven't wanted to go long equity. They, they don't want to, you know, bet whether the market's going up or down, at least not to the degree they do buying straight equity. So they've been buying debt. Debt also matures. Um, so they have a hard exit, theoretically, assuming their credits perform. Um, what is going to be interesting to see is if we do see distress develop over the next few quarters, if private equity comes back into, um, into shipping again, I, I suspect it will. Oh, and I, for, for Mike and, and Paolo, I want to get your thoughts 
what do you think is what do you think is going on with private equity and shipping right now? I mean, it's a little hard to tell. What as 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 Chris just noted, it's a little hard to tell what's going to happen <clears throat> down the road. But um, what what do you see going on in in private equity investing and shipping? Uh, Mike, you want to start or? Sure, yeah, I can start. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be. Uh, limited from a pure equity standpoint, um, yeah, I think for the reasons Alex said, and then for what Chris just said, that you know, the nice thing about debt, in addition to you know it having a little bit less risk, uh, there is a hard exit. So the, the liquidity concerns are uh, a lot less if you're if you're lending, you've got that hard maturity. Um, you know, I think what people have realized is it's really challenging to create a bunch of alpha uh, in equity investments and shipping. It's much more about you're buying the assets at the right time, and it's about having the right cost of capital. And you know, so a lot of private equity's theoretic value is to you know kind of come up with a better mousetrap, and and shipping that's difficult. So I think we're going to continue to see the same types of players investing in the space. So these are more credit-focused people, but I think you know, given some of these opportunities, they're going to still take you know equity risk and some equity upside along with that, albeit potentially from a you know preferred or protected position. And one of the things that, one of the, one of the types of investments that um, uh, private equity or hedge funds did a lot of time, spent a lot of time doing in the previous downturn was uh, basically doing paper for steel. Um, are they also exiting uh, for the same reasons? I mean, these are, these guys bought uh, debt, secured debt, um, and converted the preferred debt into um, converted the debt into uh, equity in a prepack chapter eleven, uh, and and they they made it. Some of them are public. I didn't see them listed on your chart there, uh, Chris. But um, what what do you what do you think of that? I and mean, Chris, maybe you can address that. I'll come back to Paolo. And the the question, just so I'm clear, is 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 if we're going to see more. New debt converted into equity, and 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 credit investors, you know, become equity investors again. Well, that, we can go. Yeah, certainly, I'll ask that question. But my, my first question is: Are they also doing the same kinds of exits, or are they differently structured, uh, looking for different uh, returns? So, so probably about half the public companies that have, um, you know, still have big PE investors, you know, holding positions, you know, the, those PE investors got those investments through re previous restructurings um, where they own the debt and they converted the debt into the, um, into the equity of the company. So uh, th that seems to be one of the most, you know, prevalent ways for PE funds to get in. Like Oak Tree got into most of its investments through the conversion of, um, of debt into, into equity. Okay. Um, let's see. I guess the next question I, I really have to ask is, what's next? Um, we, we did the financial crisis um, now back 12 years ago first financial crisis and this one's a little bit different when I was in Athens I sat for, for the capital in conference uh, back in February I sat next to a ship owner at lunch who, who seemed fairly relaxed um, saying yes there are going to be some difficulties and uh, they're, they're scrambling they were scrambling at the time to uh, to deal with them from the from the COVID-19 crisis 
Um, but he thought that wasn't going to be as, you know, wasn't an industry killer. Um, uh, and that we'll get through it. I'm curious what you, if you've had any chance to reflect, given how quickly this has unfolded, on what COVID-19 means for shipping uh, and what it means for shipping finance. Paolo, can you address that? Yeah, I, I think I can, I can uh, try to do that, John. Um, it's a pretty challenging question. But it, can I just start going back to um, some of the things that were discussed earlier about how private equity has been approaching shipping? I totally agree with what Chris and Axel and, and Mike said about how sort of generalist, what I call generalist uh, private equity, so the large generalist managers um, have been doing. Um, and I totally agree that one of the reasons that they're doing more uh, credit now is that one, it's easy, much easier to put a lot of money to work, which is important if you're a very big uh, fund. Um, the other thing is that it's also, um, if you have a limited life fund and you don't really have a directional view and you don't have alpha to add, which is very difficult to do in shipping as, as Mike pointed out, then um, credit is perhaps the right way for a generalist to approach shipping. Um, they can say, well, it's a little bit like real estate. It's a little bit like uh, aviation. We've put tens of billion dollars to work in those spaces. And I have a friend <clears throat> who looks at shipping in exactly that way, coming from a real estate angle. And he says, if you buy a big portfolio of, of, of shipping loans, you can treat it as a little bit like a real estate portfolio. And they're really good at doing that. Um, what we're doing at Tufton is very, very different, which is we're a specialist um, in shipping. We don't, we tend to have very long life funds with sticky money and investors who have what we consider realistic uh, return expectations. So around 10% unlevered um, or low teens with, uh, with moderate leverage. And we don't have any fund structure in a way where we ha are forced to exit at any time. So we have, we have very sticky money, which is very important in this market. Coming back to your question then about um, COVID-19, um, any of us really want to make um, uh, forecasts, right? Forecasts are difficult to make, especially about the future. Um, so um, we'll see if it's a if it's a matter of weeks, months. Hopefully, not more than more than two quarters before things get back to normal. Um, I'm not really going to make a forecast, but I'm going to I'm going to um, pose an interesting question. Um, which is we've seen, uh, well, so step back in, in history, I talked about uh, shipping and real estate before. Um, we've seen that real estate is considered a very stable mainstream asset class and shipping for the most part has been considered much more cyclical, volatile asset class. Uh, we don't have too much data and not too many ships have, have changed hands uh, in the past few weeks as the crisis has really hit. Um, but clearly share, uh, we have information from the share market. And what we've seen is actually ship prices, um, if we look at shipping overall, have actually moved significantly less than a lot of commercial real estate. So I think the question is, um, because like most crises, 
this one is different from the others. Is it possible that we come out of this crisis showing that shipping is a resilient asset class and real estate isn't, or at least some elements of real estate aren't, like hotels, um, like uh, industrial warehouses? So we'll, we will see. Excellent. Does anyone have, have an answer for that question? Yeah, well, what I'm personally worries me a little bit is that, um, yes, of course, we see um, big, massive government uh, programs in order to basically um, uh, uh, fight back the consequences of millions of consumers basically being unable to consume at the moment, which no doubt affects uh, cargo. Um, and, 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 and that definitely leads to a lot of liquidity crunches everywhere now but shipping has the problem of course that you know i wonder which government will really feel responsible for shipping um with you know hundreds thousands if not thousands of vessels you know being domiciled in for example the marshall islands and i don't believe that you know any european government will uh, give them liquidity support nor do i believe that the u.s government will give them liquidity support so shipping will have to help itself um and and this is why you know i don't dare to make a long-term projection of what happens to the global economy um but i think we'll see in certain segments of the shipping market and we need to take a very differentiated view um uh, whether we talk about tankers or drive out makes a massive difference you know at the moment we have massive demand for large tankers simply because there's too much oil it needs to be stored but in dry bulk for example and and also in in smaller container vessels where short-term chartering is the normal um, there will be a liquidity crunch um, we already see that banks are very reluctant um, to replace uh, maturing financings and no doubt we'll um, see uh, uh, necessary restructurings um, on the other hand uh, let's also keep in mind um, the big difference to 2008 and 9 is in 2008 and 9 we had a massive order book and a massively overbuilt situation. Uh, now we're in a phase where I would say some people would <laughs> say there's been you no know, shipping crisis more or less with certain interruptions since 2008 and 9. Yeah, so so the market in many segments has bottomed out already. Uh, the order books are uh, relatively empty in, 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 in many segments. So it will be an interesting combination where I personally believe um, um, uh, if the world economy uh, goes back um, uh, or normalizes sooner than later, there might be a big, big opportunity to also invest in shipping um, um, uh, because of those uh, features that I just highlighted. Like uh, you, you heard what Paolo said about, uh, um, you know, how Tufton's uh, platform, uh, equity platform, is different from a lot of the private equity f funds that got into shipping in the last cycle. Is what Axel just said, <clears throat> you know, likely to draw them back in, or at least to take a look? Um, no, I think what Paolo said was absolutely right. I think I've, I had an old colleague gave me the line, you know, when the world's falling apart, no one says, give me the generalists. You know, everyone wants a specialist. And I think that's the good thing about, you know, all, all of our firms on here, certainly Tufton from the private equity side. Um, but, you know, all of our firms are either solely focused on, on maritime or in Chris's case, you know, he's been focused on maritime for a very long time. Um, so I think it'll, it, there will be a bunch of opportunities. I think one of the other differences is 
just asset values, where we are now versus where we were then. Right now, dry bulk and containers are both kind of in their bottom quintile values. Tankers are at maybe even a little below mid-cycle. So, you know, considering we've had the best tanker quarter, you know, maybe ever. Um, so I think, you know, where you're getting in now, the risk here is just so much lower. Um, and I think people that are able to make smart bets in the space right now are going to make a lot of money. Uh, eventually, that'll bring maybe, uh, you know, less experienced investors in. Uh, but in the meantime, there's a lot of money being made for people that know what they're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think any of the bigger ones will come, will come in at all or lessons learned from the last cycle or uh, is it going, going to be more specialist uh, private equity that is investing like, like Powell? Well, I think whether they, they, whether they want this to be the case or not, a lot of the big ones are, are now experts in a sense just because of some of the exposure they've had. So, you know, some of those guys, you know, will and I think should uh, maintain a space, uh, maintain a presence in the space. And what about... Uh, Exits, uh, Chris, you see them uh, maybe new entrants, new opportunity, accelerating exits, or are people uh, likely to uh, sit on the fence again? I think for now, people need to sit on the fence. I mean, the market volatility is through the roof. Values, you know, are at like all-time lows for most of these companies. Um, you can't really sell anything today in size, even even if you wanted to. So. I think we got to wait and see kind of when the market stabilizes and normalizes where asset values go to and, and where the security values of these various um, companies go to. But I do know private equity wants to exit and in some cases, you know, have to exit, you know, over, over the course of this year. So we definitely expect regardless of market that we'll see more private equity exits. Well, I know, I know some private equity with exit requirements were kicking the can down the road with their uh, limited partners. Um, do you think the current situation makes that more <clears throat> uh, tenable? No, my understanding from talking to some of the ship owners that have private equity that, you know, investors, you know, some of the private equity funds that are invested have reached the end of their lives. You know, they, they effectively have like, you know, a three year investment period, then, you know, and then a seven year like hold period, and then they can extend it for, you know, a few additional years. But at some point the extensions end and they have to liquidate and give the money back to their investors. So, you know, some of these investments are, you know, over 10 years old at this point, and they've hit that, you know, that point where they have to exit. Paul, Paolo, you don't, uh, you don't, you operate on that kind of uh, fixed time schedule, do you? Um, no, we, we don't. It, every fund, um, to some for reasons that are, you know, beyond the scope of this discussion, funds tend to need a legal life, um, just from a sort of legal uh, uh, perspective. But as I said, all of our money is very sticky. We get most of our funds uh, that, that we manage from a number of very large uh, funds and, and other institutional investors who have a very high bar for taking on additional managers. So they're not going to do shipping unless they're going to put a few hundred million to half a billion dollars to work. And they're not going to go into shipping unless they think that there's a good reason to be there for a lot more than 10 years. Okay. Um, let, let, let me maybe add something here. I mean, I would say 
the large scale US private equity funds at the moment will probably look, you know, because they have so broad mandates, they will probably look at what is the situation and are there easier opportunities to tap into in, in the public markets, nothing to do with shipping, you know, but so I agree, it's more, uh, you know, the, the specialists will be the early movers. Um, but there's an interesting development also in Asia, where um, with Bremer Navis spot a lot more optimism uh, about shipping. We've just closed um, a 90% uh, financing for a 13-year-old tanker in Asia this morning, uh, which uh, I must say I, we were uh, very delighted to see, you know, Asian business partners standing firm despite um, uh, the, the, the virus crisis. Um, and, and, you know, I would say a 90% financing definitely has a strong equity component in there. Um, uh, so it's, it's people in Asia with a stronger optimism towards um, shipping um, that continue to invest. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and I would say whether we see the big US firms coming back will depend on also how quickly um, stock markets and, 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 and economic uh, situations normalize, because if they do normalize faster, um, then shipping will be an interesting um, opportunity. Also offshore shipping, you know, is a totally bombed out segment that of course few people dare to touch at the moment. Um, but I would say in so far, it's, it's very important whether what the relative opportunities will be. Um, and, and, and let's not forget the large funds also they do need to invest large amounts of capital. And as it looks at the moment, if the situation doesn't improve, there will be plenty of opportunities elsewhere, which will be in competition, basically, um, or, or capital requirements in shipping will compete with these situations. So much depends on how fast we normalize in the, you know, in, I would say in, in the general economy and in the general investment um, uh, environment. Um, and and uh, shipping is more for the specialists at the moment. Right. Uh, Paula, I know you're mostly, I know you're a specialist. Uh, I'm wondering if you have any views on, will the nature of investments being made by equity investors, uh, private equity investors change? Um, you're hearing a little bit about maybe doing plays that involve more kind of commodity opportunities, uh, cargo opportunities, infrastructure opportunities that it's, that it's somehow related to shipping or involves ships. Um, have you seen any of that or is, is any of that in the market? Uh, um, there is and actually um, we at Tufton have been working on something sort of along those lines um, for most of this year of course as with everything else and also partly um, driven not directly by COVID-19, but by the drop in the oil price. Um, one of the opportunities that we were looking along those lines uh, up until a few weeks ago, we've paused for a bit. But yeah, there's definitely a, we've seen a theme a few times over the past six, seven years, where a really smart investor, be it a, a private equity fund or um, an underlying institution like a big pension fund coming to us saying we really like a certain theme US shale oil and gas for example um, we think a lot of the value chain in that commodity is expensive but shipping is 
an asset class that's also exposed to that, at least positively on the volume on, on the volume side, and shipping looks cheap. Can we look at a way to put, you know, a few hundred million dollars to work into LNG shipping, LPG shipping, something along those lines? So we we've seen we have seen that a few times. And actually, as I said, we were actually working on something pretty interesting along those lines when we paused it a couple of weeks ago. We're, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to get a reaction to that from Mike and, and Axel. Maybe Mike, you can go first. Yeah, I think one of the things we've been spending a lot more time on is you know, some of the ancillary financing beyond just the asset. So whether this is sort of trade receivables financing, um, potentially even financing charters, um, you know, the, the income stream from the charters away from the ship. Um, so that's, that's a, been a big area of focus for us. Um, you know, especially since the start of this year. And I think given, you know, some of the potential acute liquidity needs for people, um, it may be a way to help them monetize. Uh, and so I think that's an area that we're likely to continue to spend a lot of time on, you know, over the next six months. Uh, Axel, any, any final words? Well, I would um, uh, support uh, uh, Paolo's view. What we see at the moment, um, actually over the last 10, 14 days happening is that some private owners buy ships fully equity financed at <laughs> very uh, uh, interesting price levels. Um, they all are funded in a way that they can weather a crisis for another 12 months, 18, 24 months at least. Uh, and I believe they, they, these are investments that will ultimately pay off, but you, know, you need strong nerves for the next few weeks and months to come, of course. Yeah. Well, let me thank you all for participating in this panel. Uh, it's been great. Uh, and I want to thank all the people who are participating remotely uh, uh, watching this presentation. And more than anything, thank uh, uh, Capital Link and Nicholas for his perseverance in getting this done. Um, we uh, may be the future of um, <laughs> conferencing for at least a little while, uh, but it's been quite exciting. And thank you all. Thanks, John. Thanks a lot for the great moderation. Thank, Thank you. you, John. Thank yeah. you, Nicholas. Stay healthy. Thank, Bye. Thank you very much. Stay healthy, everyone. Yeah, stay healthy, everyone.